0: Welcome, everyone. Yeah, just don't worry about scratching the hardwood floors. They're already scratched. (laughs) Some of you didn't expect this. Hey. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, So yeah, for those who are new, we're kind of in the middle of a, well, getting toward the end of a, a series called Paradigm Shift, and we've just been experimenting a little bit rethinking just in light of the pandemic and how that shook things up, shook up the way we do church on on Sundays and in in other ways as well. Um, So we've been experimenting with just breaking into circles and having some discussion. So this morning I'm going to talk for a little bit, give you some food for thought, and then you guys can be thinking and talking about it afterwards. So we'll that's about what, ten thirty. I'll I'll try to keep this to we'll see how it goes. Maybe half an hour. Um, and then you guys can have about a half an hour to uh to talk to each other. I feel like church is good when you can talk to people. I've been kind of whining about the fact that sometimes the church experience is, you know, you come, you know, you come to a service and you uh Sing some songs, which is awesome, I mean we don 't want to stop doing that. That was amazing this morning, even trumpets. it was incredible <clears throat> and then we uh you know we listen, we listen to the preaching of the word, which is awesome and really important, but sometimes that 's all we do you know is sing songs and hear a message, and then we we leave and so we really want to weave into our gatherings more and more um, in the days to come, just interaction, fellowship. Um, You know, it's funny, my wife and I, it's just how it is, you know, When, when we're driving home from a Sunday morning service or we are having lunch on Sunday afternoon, it's so interesting that almost always what we talk about is who we interacted with that morning. I mean we might say oh the worship was so good or man that trumpet solo was incredible that moved me that took me to the heavens you know or whatever you know um, if someone else preached uh, you know that was a really good message and I love this and that about it but often it's 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 who we had a a great conversation with you know it's who we sat with for five or ten minutes and, and just talked or caught up with and so we really want church to be that. We want it to be more relational, and we want it to be a real community. We want it to be less of an event and more of a community that we're a part of. Uh, so anyways, I've been doing these messages, I think maybe six messages so far. Um, we're getting toward the end. I have two more. Uh, today I'm going to talk about money and mission and then next week, we'll talk about, I think I might title it expansion, and just how the kingdom of God expands across the globe. I'm excited to talk about that. We'll talk about church planting, things like that. But today, money and mission. And so the questions I've been pondering this week are this, if you are looking at me funny this today, and like Charlie came up to me and said, man, do you? You look tired. It's because I am really tired this week, all right? So if I seem like I'm slurring my words or something like that, yeah. I almost couldn't get up today. I was so tired. So just, I'm not used to doing some physical work, so we did some physical work this week uh, on our house, so I'm a little, I'm a little spent. But I feel, I feel good. I feel energized, and I feel like my mind is, my body is tired, but my mind is rip ripping and ready to to give this message so these are the questions i've been pondering not just this last week but for really for years especially during the pandemic how much should we give to our local church what should the church do with the money is money even really needed to fulfill our mission as a church uh, what if instead of giving 5 to 10 percent, which is the typical amount, to local and global missions, we aimed as a church to give 25 percent or 50 percent or maybe even more 75 percent? How could we do this in order to accomplish this goal? Would what would we be willing to give up? Um, There's some other questions related to that, but that'll get us going and thinking in the right direction. Well, with this talk, really, I want to get us to think about financial stewardship, not so much your stewardship and your personal finance, like, you you know, that's between you and the Lord, but more as, as a collective. I mean, this is not my church. This is our church. You know, so how... Should we? There's a lot of money that comes in to this, to this church. It's a small community, but I think last year was around $400,000. It's almost a like half a million dollars. That's a lot of money coming in because of just the generosity of people in this community. So, really, the question is you know, like, how do we steward that? How do we distribute that? What's the best way um, to do that? We want to be thinking together about that. And I just want to just say, it is spectacular, Um, just in a moment of, I guess, gratitude, how much generosity has been in this community through the pandemic. A lot of churches closed down. A lot of churches really suffered financially. Um, And we really don't talk about money very often. I mean, we don't take an offering during the Sunday service. We don't every week spend five minutes, ten minutes, and, you know, push everybody to give and pass around the collection plate. Not that that's bad or whatever, but we just kind of don't do that. We just let people work it out between them and the Lord, and it's just been abundant through the pandemic. Even though we've lost some people um, in the community, and that's fine, but it's just been more than enough, uh, which is just, it's spectacular. So I just want to say thank you. Well, I don't think I need to uh, talk much about the call of God to support our local church. Because, like I said, I think uh, most of us understand that really well. Um, We also understand what the book of Acts teaches in terms of, you know, how the early Christians uh, were generous and gave and all that. You know, we've probably read those stories in the book of Acts, it's beautiful Our collective generosity. Um, I think personally, it's, and maybe some pastors would disagree with me, but it's a challenge to prove from the Bible that New Testament Christians should tithe. If you don't know what tithe is, it just means 10%. If you make $1,000 a month, it means cutting aside. Ten percent of that one hundred dollars in giving that to your local church that's the practice of tithing that is how most churches uh, operate their business is on the tithe uh, it's really not it's hard to prove that from from scripture. in fact, you know if you go to the Old Testament, it was more of a thing for the nation of Israel that was a combined support of the ministers and support of the temple, but also sort of a tax. So some say it was like more like 23% of your income would go toward uh, kind of supporting the temple and supporting the, you know, whatever, the infrastructure of the nation. Um, So it's, we're not the nation of Israel anymore. You know, like we're, it's a different, it's a new day. We're in the new Testament. Uh, We're not under law. We're under grace. And so it's a it's a different thing. Uh, so we don't preach tithing here. That everybody, should. if you're a member of the church, you should give temper. We don't. We just don't do that. We don't say that because I feel like I feel personally, it's it feels dishonest. Like I I can't pull from scripture to tell you to do that. Uh, what we do encourage always is generosity. Um, and so I'll give you one verse of scripture. There's many, but um, I'll give you one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 8 says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That last verse is like one of my favorites. But you see a few things here that uh, Paul, this is Paul writing this to the the Corinthian church. He's saying, um, I mean, this was kind of, this wasn't talking about ongoing giving. It was a special gift that was being collected, you know, to go toward, I think, another church. But a few things, a few principles you see there. Paul was saying, you're free to decide. You know, you work it out between you and the Lord, you know, what you want to give. So if we think about this like in an ongoing sense, if that's, you know, like I said before, if, if you don't make much money at all, uh, giving 10% is like incredibly sacrificial because you can barely make ends meet. Um, maybe even giving five percent or seven percent would be a stretch like it would it would hurt it would hurt a lot if you 're making a lot of money or you have more than enough, then you know giving ten percent or fifteen or twenty that 's really not a big deal and Jesus taught this right the story of the widow with the two coins that she gave all she had, and the wealthy Pharisees were giving you know a lot of money, but he, jesus wasn 't impressed with it. So it's it's kind of like us working out individually with the Lord. What Lord? What, what do you, for us? For me and Tiffany, what what would you consider generous? You know, we kind of work it out with the Lord on our own. So it's not a math equation. You know, it's not ten percent. You know, it's just you no. Know, we have to work these things out with with Jesus. But you also see in this scripture, we shouldn't give because we're pressured. Uh, that's not, you know, I've said many times uh, to this community or through the years of the, the church, if, if you're not, if you, if you don't, don't be pressured ever to give, whether here or somewhere else. Like God is not pleased with our giving when it's just out of a sense of almost like guilt, well, the pastor said, "We got if you're gonna be a member, you got to give ten percent." Right, I guess I'll do it. You know, like so you do it. No, don't ever give like that. Work it out between you and Jesus. You know, you don't have to tell anybody what you're giving. You just, you just do it between you and you and God, and, and God is pleased with that. Um, so don't ever feel pressured. I hope I'm, I never pressure anyone to give a certain amount. I mean, I'm not gonna hone in on anybody you know like oh, Roger, how much are you giving this month? and you know I, I was looking at the finances' you're, you're slacking you know like I'm not going to do that you know it's like it's between him and I know Roger, I'm picking on him because he's so generous, but um you know like it's between him and the Lord, and he should never feel like he's being pressured and also says you know not reluctant but cheerful um, so in our in our giving we we give cheerfully, and I've said this many times. If you can't give it cheerfully, don't give it. Keep it, because there's nothing. You know, we, I mean, I know from a business standpoint, we need finances or whatever. We need your gift, but no, we're not, we're not a business. So I can say as a representative of Jesus, of God, this is God's church. If you can't give cheerfully, keep it. Just keep it. You know, we we don't want it. God doesn't want it. God wants all the giving in this community to be a sweet fragrance, like cheerfully giving. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. How many have given sometimes not cheerfully? <laughs> there have been times, you know, like writing that check, whatever. Ten percent, you know um but no that God doesn't he's not pleased with that you know he 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 wants us to to freely give to give out of our gratitude back to him and then the last thing we see in this verse is like a trusting God that he provides all things I think you know when it really comes down to it one of the reasons uh we we struggle to give is because we we're like control freaks you know we're we, we feel like, I can't afford to, to give, you know, because, you know, how am I going to do this or that? Where you kind of hit a point, right, Jackie? You hit a point where it's like, he's, he's got me. He's got me. He's in control. He owns the whole world. He owns everything. And he's got my back. He's got my finances. It's all his. 100% is his. So whatever he tells me to give, it's not like it's going to hurt me financially, Right? You know, because you just give it to him, and then he's he's got you covered. And anyone who's been generous in giving, which is many of you in this room, you know that's true. You know, he honors that. And and not that he, you know, you got to be careful here. It's not that oh, if you give a lot, then God will get you rich. It doesn't work like that. Okay, it's not. But He'll take care of you. He take He sees our generosity. He sees our cheerful giving. And he, I think he just takes responsibility for our provision. I think that's the way to think of it. So it's not that he gets us rich. It's not like, oh, give 10 bucks and he'll, you know, give you a hundred in return. Like it, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes it might, but that's kind of bad theology. But it's kind of like when you hoard your money and you're stingy with your money, it's almost like you're, Kind of on your own financially, right? It's like, all right, God's like, all right, okay. you just if you feel like you can with your money, do what you want to do with, every, you know, then you're. He kind of backs off. When we uh, seek first the kingdom of God and give to the work of God, He personally takes responsibility for our needs and and to take care of us and our family. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'd rather put my financial future <laughs> in the Lord's hands than like, no, God, I'm not giving to you. I'm gonna, I need everything I got. I'm just going to take care of my own thing. No, there's something about that. I mean, there's even some verses in the Bible that say like if you, if you really uh, go down that road of um, the book of Haggai, it kind of talks about this. If you go down that road of like, you know what, I'm not given to God's work I'm going to just hoard it all um, because, I don't know, I just, you know, God's got enough money or whatever. God says he'll poke a hole in your purse. He'll, he'll, he'll slit your wallet <laughs> so $100 bills will just fall out of it. He'll, he'll cause your bank account to uh, bleed out. And I just think, you know, it's an interesting verse, but that's my paraphrase. So, churches of 500 people uh, typically bring in over a million dollars a year. It's a lot of money. Churches of over a thousand people, who often attract wealthier folks, you know, because of their nice buildings usually, bring in several million dollars every year. Even in Rhode Island, the smallest of all states, churches bring in tens of millions of dollars. Every single year, just in this little tiny state, maybe even a hundred million, maybe more than a hundred, hundreds of million, who knows what that total is. But in this little tiny state, think of all the money that pours into churches. So the great question, of course, is what should churches do with all this money? Like mean, who makes those decisions? Is it just the pastor? Is it just this little team of people? Uh, A few elders or or finance team. As a a refresher, I did talk about this earlier in my talk on kingdom economics. Most churches in the Western world distribute funds this way. 50% of what comes in goes to staff, pastoral staff and other kinds of staff. 25% goes toward the building, whether they're renting a building or they own a building, have a mortgage, 15% goes into programming, which most of that programming uh, is designed to bless the church community. And then 5% goes toward global mission. And then 5% goes toward local mission. That's interesting. I have a close friend, my mentor, who is, uh, they call him the superintendent of, the Assemblies of God over the Southern New England District, and he was saying that. I said, "Are there any churches that you know? I, I don't know how many churches he oversees. It's a law. It's like I don't know, five hundred or something. Are there any churches that are giving fifty percent?" He said, "No." <laughs> now, how about you know? And that kind of went went down, and he he couldn't even think of someone giving uh, like twenty five percent, and maybe there was. He wasn't. He's was unaware of all of it. Um, but he said the biggest missions giving churches tend to just give so much because they are bringing in so much money every single year. Um, I was with another friend last night. who said, "Yeah, there's a, a, a church um, that's about down. He's in Connecticut, down like uh, maybe an hour outside of New York City. 500 people in the church. In their their budget every year is." Over $4 million. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. $4 million a year for a church of 500. Um, What are they doing with the money? That's that's the question. So to critique this distribution, we actually have quite a bit in Scripture uh, that shows us how the early Christians used their money that came into the the church. Um, We don't know exactly what percentage was used for each, uh, we just don't know that. But here are some of the things that the early church did with the money that came in. They gave food to widows uh, daily, actually. Daily distribution of food to widows. They cared for those in need. They helped other churches, when maybe there was a famine or some kind of you know hardship that was hitting the Christians in another city, they would send gifts uh, from one church that was doing well. Maybe they had more of an abundance. They would send money to uh, this this other the churches in another region to help them. And then we see the supporting of the apostles, or if you want to call them missionaries, apostle just means one sent on a mission. Uh, so they supported. Missions, and you know it's debatable whether or not pastors or elders um, receive support in the in the first century, first few centuries, and it's debatable, you know, on that. And nowadays, you know, pastors do receive salaries, and you know, different people have different opinions. But let's look at these uh, verses: Acts six one. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Uh, So I'm just kind of giving you the the scriptures that that back back up these ideas. 1 Timothy 5.16, again, widows. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So basically just saying, you know, if if they're able to be supported by family then let the family take care of their widows. But if they don't have family that can do that, fine, that's great because then the church has more resources to give to those who are truly in need, truly widows. Acts 2, 44 to 45, the needy, all who believe were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's beautiful. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 5, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you see this, you know, some Christians in one part were giving to Christians in another part of the region or, you know, could have been far away or whatever. Then in Philippians, you see the support of apostles. Again, apostles were the ones who planted churches and, or went around and watered the churches that had been planted, missionaries basically, uh, preached the gospel in you know marketplaces and started riots and all that stuff um but they were they were kind of on the move traveling a lot says this philippians 4 and you philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when i left macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only he's being thankful the philippians were very generous even in thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippian church just uh, blessed Paul and supported him abundantly, like to the point where Paul was just overwhelmed at how generous they were. To enable him to do his ministry. And then 1 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> now the Corinthians weren't weren't, weren't like the Philippians. Uh, the Corinthians sort of didn't really want to support Paul. <laughs> um, so Paul's just giving some argument here and kind of rebuking them. Not that Paul's looking for, and he gets into this, looking for them to start supporting, you know, out of guilt, but just kind of he's schooling them a little bit. Like you guys are really off. And this is going to affect you spiritually if you're thinking this way. But he says this, Corinthians 9, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain? Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do do not we even more? Nevertheless, Paul says, we have not made use of this right. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ? Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It's interesting. So he gives a strong argument for uh, apostles being supported, and yet he refuses uh, to take any of their money. And, you know, we call him a tent maker because he made tents on the side. He didn't always do that, but there was times where uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, just worked. You know, he made tents. I guess it was a skill that he had, and he did that so that he could preach the gospel for free. Then there, the, the one New Testament portion that is probably the strongest that is interpreted differently by different people uh, for the support of pastors is in 1 Timothy uh, 5, 17, and 18. It says, let the elders... Whenever see the word elder in the New Testament, it really means shepherds or pastors. It's really interchangeable words. So let the elders or pastors who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says... And you see this verse again. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Um, I'm not even going to try to. There's multiple different interpretations. It's debatable. Uh, some say, well, you know, you know, so is that saying that all elders should be paid? Um, does that mean that we should pay elders and pastors double? Um, that you know, how literal do we take that? Is it just kind of talking about honor that we should really? value those who labor in teaching and preaching in the context of a church. And it's not really about money at all. So there's a lot of different um, interpretations of it. And if I'm honest, I'm not actually sure what, you know, how to interpret it. Um, I've read all the different interpretations. What we don't see in the New Testament is the church spending money on buildings You just really don't see that. Um, They didn't use buildings. They used houses mainly. Uh, Sometimes they would gather in the temple, but you just didn't see that. So today, as I said before, most churches spend about 90% of their money on buildings, uh, programming for the church, staff hired to manage the church. Um, It's possible that the early Christians did the opposite of that. It's possible that they gave maybe 90% of what came in right back into the community, to the widows, to the poor. There was a lot of poverty back then, that they were just kind of known for that. They were known for their generosity. Um, again, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it was 90%. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was 70%. Maybe they, there was a significant amount. Because it wasn't just Paul that they supported, but it would be Paul and Barnabas and, or Paul and Silas. or There was whole teams of apostolic missionary workers that would go out, so a good amount of money, I'm sure, went to, to that as well. What we do know in Scripture is that the church is called by God to be a blessing to the nations. We're called to care for the poor in the church and our neighbors, and we in this location are surrounded by um, a lot of poverty. We're called to lavish the widow, uh, to support the foreigner, to bless the orphan. We're called to remember those who are in prison and to care for the sick. Uh, This is what the church should be, right? As Tim Keller, who pastored in New York City, some of you probably know his name, um, always says that, you know, the church should be famous for its good works and its generosity. Well, let me tie this together back to us. Let's bring it back to Ren Church. What should we aim for in the days to come? You know, we took a step of faith this year, and we've been giving, I mean, for years we gave like 3 to 5%, then we kicked it up to 10% for missions each year, which is kind of the, that's the average. So this year we're taking a step of faith and giving about a quarter of everything that comes in to local and global missions, uh, which I'm really excited about. You know, it doesn't really work on paper, (laughs) mathematically. We really shouldn't be doing this, but we're just trusting the Lord, taking that step of faith that he's going to honor it. So if we do this for the entire year, uh, we will have given over 100000 to local and global mission by the end of the year. That's pretty awesome, and it would be the most by far that we've ever given in a single year. So I'm excited about that, something we can be excited about together. Um, and I believe we can hit this mark uh, just by continuing to be generous as we've been uh, all along, I don't think we need to like grow numerically in a crazy way, or we don't need to lay off any staff. We don't need to get rid of our building. We don't need to do anything drastic at all. I think we can we can do this. We've already done it. I, I know we did it in uh, January. So if we can do it in January, we can do it in February. If we can do it in February, we can do it in March. So um, and we didn't uh, again. You know, we didn't have to lay off staff. We even because inflation is crazy. We were even able to give all of our staff. Increase significant increases coming into the new year to kind of match. I think the cost of living was like 5% or something. Uh, so that, that was a lot, you know. Uh, so I think we can do that this year. That's our plan for this year. Let me go down a side trail for a moment and let you know how significant your giving is. First, your giving enables us as a community to have two full-time staff. That would be myself and also Catherine I didn't even know she could do this tambourine stuff and everything. She's like the jack of all trades. She can do anything. Um, But yeah, Catherine does uh, basically missions in the neighborhood for half of the time. And then the other half is she just holds the place together pretty much, you know, and I guess can play tambourine as well. Um, But yeah, and then we have about a half a dozen or more part-time staff, very specialized, doing different things. Um, maybe some would say we're kind of understaffed but we sort of like it that way because we keep it lean and mean um, and we operate on minimal staff so that we can have more money to do other things um, so I think it, it's working well and also because you guys many of you are doing so much just as volunteers um, you know like in this church we have a volunteer worship director which is uh, Dan Waugh and but you know, the other musicians are amazing and serve well. And I mean, a lot of churches have like a worship arts pastor, we don't have that. We just, Dan does it, you know, he works full time, he has kids, you know, it's like he's a busy guy, but he 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 sacrifices and makes it happen. And that's part of the reason why we have more money to give into local uh, mission. So for us, another significant portion about 25 percent. Goes to paying rent and utilities and everything else related to this beautiful building. Um, I mean, for those of you know, like, it's cheap. It's 4500 a month that we pay for 18,000 square feet. That's unheard of in the city of Providence. So it's a blessing. Again, it enables us to uh, give more to the mission. So the pandemic hampered us considerably, but in normal times, we really utilize this building to, to the max, right? We've hosted fundraisers and concerts. Uh, we've done massive art installations that Allie would design. I mean, just beautiful. Uh, where you know, hundreds of people coming, walking through the space. Uh, we've allowed local organizations like Young People's AA, Young Voices and other churches, Refugee Dream Center would do their annual gala event here, um, local campus ministries, Young Life, many others to use our space. We like to share our space. We've had outreaches for the homeless. We've had kids' art camps. Um, We've had daily prayer meetings in one season, which was pretty awesome. Multiple small gatherings like parent classes and finance classes and small groups and youth groups and men's breakfast, women's refresh. Um, we've used the building as a launch pad for neighborhood outreach. Uh, like if you see, well, Catherine will have you know maybe a half a dozen people organizing all the groceries and putting them all together, then taking off for the neighborhood to distribute the groceries. Uh, so it even you know, is used for, for those kind of reasons. We've had many weddings here through the years, and our share of funerals as well. Um, so about 25% of your giving enables us to have a building to do these kinds of things. Buildings, especially buildings in strategic locations, can be a tool for mission. I know I've said, you know, I don't know, is this like, should we have a building? Do we need a building? Because it it costs us about a million dollars over the course of 10 years if you factor everything in with utilities and all the phone lines you need, internet and maintenance and just all of it. Um, that's a lot of money. Do we need that? Maybe we do. I'm just, I'm just asking questions up here. You know, some get freaked out if I ask a question. You got to know me. I ask questions. When I first became a Christian, I drove people crazy. I mean, crazy. What about this? What about that? What does this mean? Why is this? Why is God doing this? Why is he killing everybody in this story? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I ask all the I want to know everything. Um, and I don't know everything, but I'm still asking many, many, many questions. And so this is just, I don't know. Do we need to spend a million dollars? Maybe we do need to spend in a million dollars in a decade for a building. Maybe that's good. For many years, about 10 to 15% of your um, giving has gone toward local and global missions, uh, as I said, and meeting the needs of people in the community for global missions, for those that don't know, we usually um, just pick one missionary each month. We have one kind of designated for each month. Uh, like today is Beth uh, Steubing, uh who used to be a part of this church, and now she's married and she's in Malawi, I believe, uh, doing missions, medical missions. Her and her, she's I know she's a doctor. I don't think her husband is a doctor. I can't remember. But um, so yeah, every month we take a different global missionary and we support them. It's usually about $1,500 on average. Anything that you give to missions in a given month, you know, like uh, if you go on the website and you're doing your giving, you kind of give it to your regular, you know, your regular giving to the church, but then you give to the missionary of the month, anything that you give. So if you guys all gave $100, it would be a lot. You know, <laughs> if everybody was like, I'm giving $100 to the missionary of the month. If 100 of us did that, um, that's a good amount of money. What is that, 10000 Where's the math people? Dan. <laughs> but here are a few of the, the things that we've been able to do through the years um, with our missions money. Been able to give to City Love missionaries, uh, City Love initiatives, like the Easter City Love initiative, the neighborhood block parties. We usually play a huge role financially, giving thousands to make the The block parties happen um, that are partnering with other organizations. The grocery distribution, I think we're up to like 10 or 12 families that we give to each month. Um, The homeless women's breakfast that we do. The partnership events like with Salvation Army, doing the Thanksgiving events that we just, we said, we'll buy everything. We'll we'll take care of all the food. Providence Rescue Mission, we've given to them generously. Generously. Southside Community Land Trust, the art installations, um, helping someone in financial crisis that comes up on a regular basis so we're able to, you know, thoughtfully, carefully, um, you know, distribute money as people have needs. Uh, Blessing local church plants, that's been fun as well. Supporting guest speakers. Teen Challenge, we've given to, we give actually monthly to Teen Challenge. Neighborhood beautification, we've done so many different things, uh, murals and different all different kinds of things to clean up the neighborhood. Trinity Square together. I won't explain that, but it's just a partnership of local businesses and nonprofits that work together to make the neighborhood better. And we've been a major player in that. Film projects that we've done, social media campaigns, posters, invites. I could keep going. These are the things that we've done with 10 to 15 percent of the money that has come in each year. We can feel good about that. I'm excited that this year we're kicking it up a notch. We're doubling our efforts to 24%. But imagine, I just can't help but to imagine what we could do if we could figure out a way to give 50% of everything that comes in to local and global missions, or maybe more. Uh, I think 50 is a good target, good starting target. Um, Imagine the impact that we could have, for example, on the refugee community. Do you know that the needs are so intense right now for refugees that are now, again, just pouring into the states, and they, you know, the government kind of sets them up a little bit, maybe gets them housing, but they need jobs, they need stuff, they need furniture, there's so many needs that they have. Wouldn't it be amazing if not just Ren Church, but if churches could collectively in the region figure out ways to just trim their budget and, you know, operate on less so we could give 25, 30, 40 percent into the refugee community. You know, like that. Right now we live in a day where people are just cynical about churches, right? The reputation of evangelical churches, um, or just Christians in general, especially in New England, it's people just, you know, what what word do you think of when you think of Christian, you know, people, yeah, hypocrite, or too politically, I don't know, whatever, you know, it's just, it's not a, a positive thing often, but if the church would get back to her roots of loving the poor and just being generous toward neighborhoods and toward global poverty, uh that, that could change that could dramatically change the reputation of of the church. So yeah, the question is how can we increase? And that's what you guys can talk a little bit about uh for the, the remainder remainder of the time together is these questions. What kinds of things would you love to see local churches use their money for? And then secondly, how can churches creatively increase the amount of their overall income to dedicate it to local and global missions? Um, some of you are, are pretty creative and pretty smart and savvy financially. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm open. Like, how can we... How can we change the, the equation there? Of like right now we give 50% to staff, 25% for building, 15, or maybe 5% for programming, and then, I, I'm not doing the math right, but we're, we're doing about 24% to local and global mission. How can we change that? And don't say fire the senior pastor, okay? <laughs> Although that would really be good. That would be, uh, that would work. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, don't fire me yet. <laughs> but like, what are some ways? I mean, maybe it's not, you know, sometimes when you're thinking about these things, even in your personal finances, you, you get to a point where, like, I don't know, we can't trim anything else. All right, we can get rid of Netflix. You know, like there's, there's only like so much you can trim, right? And then, so, but then you, you think of, well, how can we? Maybe we can get a side job. Maybe we can increase our income uh, some kind of creative way or do an Airbnb. Or, like, I heard of one person that just they move out of their house for a few weeks in the prime weeks in the summertime and just Airbnb their house to like bring in a ton of money. I don't, not that we're going to do that here, but, <laughs> um, but what are some creative ways that we could maybe generate more money? What are some creative ways that we could, uh, strip down what we do to a minimal uh, operational cost should we keep the building. You guys can chat about that, too. All right, well, have fun with it. Get in your circles. I'll I'll close us in prayer in about 20 minutes. Uh, So yeah, have fun with it. And if you're at home watching, I don't know, just eat your pancakes and um, think about this and talk about it. Love you guys.